The scripture reading for today is Hebrews 4, verses 9 to 12. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter the rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. This ends my reading of the word of God. Amen this morning. Uh, I know it's tomorrow, Amy, but I didn't forget. Happy anniversary. I love you. And uh, thank you for putting up with me all these years. And especially all the crazy church services I used to take you to that you didn't believe me what would happen in them. And they did. So thank you for uh, being part of that, too. I love you. And I'm sure, Clint, Jill, aren't you guys having an anniversary coming up, too? Oh, happy anniversary. How many? That's awesome. So anybody else has had an anniversary, happy anniversary to you, too. And God bless you. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, is a vivid example of God's word as revealed in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The word in Jesus is described in this verse in the following ways. Quick. Living, Jesus has a power all to himself. Powerful, as shown in creation, God spoke. The Bible said he spoke his word and the worlds came to be. God sustains the world. He sustains the universe by his laws and how he governs it. Powerful in a sense that Jesus rose from the dead. He said, God is going to raise me up from the dead and I'm going to be back with him in glory. The word in Jesus is sharp. By the words that he said, by the power of the Spirit in his life, and the ability he had to produce results in the lives of people. We call that grace. God's word in Jesus Christ is piercing. So sharp is it that it gets to the heart of the matter. Jesus and the word of God does not mess around. It doesn't have time to play. The word of God in Jesus divides. It shows the true intent of the one who's being encountered. The word of God may affect the lost man different then it affects the saved man. They view the word of God in different ways. They view Jesus in different ways. But the end result of how one views the word of God or Jesus Christ is the same. And that word is two words, judgment day. The Bible says every man will give an account to God of the deeds done in his body. So no matter how much the lost man perceives the Bible in Jesus, no matter how much the believer perceives the Bible in Jesus, all of us will appear before the judgment seat of Christ and we'll give an answer to him of how we lived our lives. For the believer, thus people that us that are Christians, here's how he and the word affects us. God's word can make us happy. God's word can make us sad. His word can help us to feel very powerful. We can do anything or accomplish anything that we want to accomplish. His word can almost make us feel very timid like, I'm never going to reach what you're saying I can reach in this word. In his word, we can feel confident or very confused. Especially, I don't understand that scripture. I'm confident in it. I believe it and I trust it. But Lord, I don't understand that scripture at all. These feelings that we experience in the word of God can make or break us in our relationship to Jesus Christ. 
in this chapter in the book of Hebrews, Paul was writing to the believers who were of the Jewish faith before they came to Christ. And they were experiencing many of these feelings. They wanted to return back to their old way of life into the law of Judaism. Why follow this Christ? Why believe and trust in his word if all these things are going to happen to me? And Paul is asking them to keep the faith. All of Hebrews talks about the lordship of Christ. But in chapters 1 through 3, he says Christ is better than Moses, the angels, the priests. He's better than anybody. And his sacrifice was a better sacrifice. Jesus fulfilled the old covenant in every way. He's trying to convince them to hold true to what they've accepted. Stay on to Jesus Christ. Serve him. Follow him. Love him. He is the answer. These believers in the Old Testament and these believers here uh, were kind of the same way. He refers back to the children of Israel in the old days. And he says that these believers, like their ancestors, experienced life in the wilderness. And that's kind of what I want to talk about, even though I'm going to jump around a lot. Is life in the wilderness. God had told Abraham, I'm going to take your people and I'm going to take them to jail. Spoke his word to Abraham. Abraham spoke the word to the people. God fulfilled what he was going to do. He said also, I'm going to come and deliver them. I'm going to deliver them with a mighty hand from the Egyptians. God said he was going to do it. He calls Moses. I want you to go free my people. Moses goes back and he says, God is going to free you. God is going to touch you. He said it. He spoke it. He fulfilled it. And he done it. He says to the children of Israel, I'm bringing you to the brink of the promised land. Here is the land I'm going to give you. Go take the land. The problem was, Paul says in chapter 3, verse 8, the children of Israel lived in the wilderness. He called it the day of provocation. In other words, God was testing them in their faith. What was their wilderness? Uh, when we leave here, we got no food. When we leave here, we got no water. When we leave here, we got nobody to protect us. As a matter of fact, they're at the mount. Moses goes away to get the commands of God, and they say, where is Moses? Why is not Moses helping us? Why won't he come down and speak to us? And the Bible says they build him a calf. They needed something to worship, so they worshiped the calf. It was their disbelief in God that caused them not to inherit the promised land. God took them. He showed them. He gave them his word. He done it by miracles, signs, and wonders. But they did not believe. And because they did not believe, they had to walk around 40 years before they could go to their promised land. The same wilderness that the children of Israel experienced was what was happening to these Jewish Christians. Persecution. You've accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. Not good thing. Loss of family. You're giving up your whole way of life. All of our traditions, everything we believed in, you're giving it up for a dead man. Friends. Loss of society. Loss of culture. Loss of community. All because they believed in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The wilderness area in their life was too much for them. And they said, we cannot handle this but you know what Jesus knew all about the wilderness man he leaves the glory of heaven he says I will go Isaiah says who will go for me his servant says here my Lord send me 
He leaves the throne of heaven. He comes to the earth. He takes on the form of a man. As he walks through life, he's forsaken by people. The Lord Jesus Christ is forsaken by his three best friends. Remember, he goes off to pray and he calls three men to go with him. He's praying for his life. He comes back and says, why are you guys sleeping? Couldn't you pray with me one hour? When he's about to be judged and they ask Peter, aren't you his disciple? I don't know that guy. They didn't believe and accept Christ. He was on the road alone. The people that followed him followed him for the wrong reasons. They followed him because of his miracles, his signs and wonders. What can you do for me? How can you help me? He knew what it was like to live in life and live in the wilderness. But Jesus, most importantly, was forsaken by the one he loved the most. When he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew something about the wilderness. He knew something about life, being made fun of, being persecuted, being done wrong. But Jesus Christ, he kept on believing. And in believing, he rose from the dead. God says, I'm going to raise you up. He goes to the grave, and three days later, God raises him up from the dead. He goes right back to the throne of heaven, right back to where he began. And now he's worshipped. He said, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fell on 120 disciples. The word of God spread all over the world. And in that, Jesus Christ birthed his church. After he'd done all of that, the Bible says he entered into his rest. Jesus found his promised land. He believed God. He trusted God. He followed God. But his life was not all about the wilderness. It was about the rest to save mankind and to change mankind forever. And the Bible says he's at the right hand of God. He's entered his rest. And Paul's trying to say to the people in Hebrews that God has a rest for his believing people. A rest from their own works of righteousness, even though they were good works, that being the law. Sacrifice a lamb. Go sacrifice this. Go run after that. Build a temple hill. Build a tabernacle hill. Do all these things. He says, I want you to rest from that. Why? He says, because God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. The Bible says when he created everything, he saw that it was good. And even though the children of Israel works were good, they could not do what God wanted to do, which was to bring them to faith in him. So God rested from his good work of creation and says, I have a rest for you. God has always asked his people to believe and trust in him. It's been from the beginning. Everybody thinks it's about law and commands and all that. No, God is a good, loving, compassionate God, forgiving men their trespasses as far as the east is from the west, from generation to generation. He asked the children of Israel to simply believe and trust in him. He said, if you will believe me, if you will trust me, you will enter the promised land. And you will enter into my rest. But this rest that he's talking about, Paul says, is still in the future. David spoke about it in the Psalms, that the people of God look for a rest. And in a play on words, and you look in your Bible in Hebrews chapter 4, he uses the word Jesus, but it's really Joshua. Joshua spoke about this rest even when the children of Israel went into the promised land. They went into their promised land, but in their promised land they had to fight, they had to work, 
They had to do the law. They had to do commandments. In their promised land, they divorced. Their babies died. Their spouses died. Their cattle got fried. Even in the promised land, they did not enter into the rest of God because he had something better for them, Paul says. Believers and non-believers alike live in the wilderness. Life is a wilderness. Whether you're saved or not saved, we all have the same experiences. They're all the same. They might hurt in different ways, but the experience is the same. What does a lost man and a believing man experience in the wilderness of life? Hurt. Pain. Confusion. But we also experience joy, happiness, and fulfillment. In the wilderness of life, we experience life and death. But I say for the believer, it is harder to live in the wilderness of life. We don't have all the answers. We're still trying to figure it out ourselves. And we're doing the best that we can. See, the lost man, I know he thinks it's real smart that he can just throw it away to science or evolution or explain away when you die. That's all there is. They say that's real. You have to be real intellectually sound to say these things and believe all these things. You have to be super educated to do that. But in the end, that's what they believe. That's what they trust in. But the believing man, he can't do that. He has to figure out, why do I believe in God? Why do I believe in Jesus Christ? Did he rise from the dead? How did he rise? How does he affect my life? The believer has to answer those questions, and those questions are not easy to answer. Still, it is our belief and faith in the Lordship of Christ that keeps us going. In that faith, in the belief that we have in Jesus, we encourage our brothers and sisters to continue in the faith. Just give you a couple of ways. Let's just say, for instance, you see your brother, and I use the word brother, brother, sister, okay, just take it for what I'm saying. You see your brother struggling in the marriage. Maybe the, they're not getting along in marriage. Maybe the kids ain't getting along. And, the, and your brother's just really struggling. He's really hurting. You go to your brother. You encourage your brother. You lift your brother up. You give your brother a couple of scriptures. You pray with your brother. Then you go home. Let's just say you see your brother. Maybe your brother lost his job. And he's really hurting. And he's hurting financially. And you go give him a couple dollars. Maybe you give your brother a gift card. You pray with your brother. You give him a few scriptures. God's going to take care of you. God's going to look over your life. And you send your brother on his way. Maybe your brother comes to you and says, I have sickness now. I ain't going to make it. I I think I'm coming to my end. You give your brother scriptures. You pray with your brother. You lift your brother up. And you help your brother out. Why do you do this? Because you don't want your brother to lose faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't want him to fall. You don't want him to stumble. You don't want him to struggle. So you say, I'm reaching out to you, my brother. I'm reaching out to you, my sister, to say to you, it's going to be okay. God will take care of this. But the whole time you're doing that, your own marriage is busting up. Your own kids are going south. You didn't have $5 to give to that person. And your heart is broken because you've experienced loss. Your heart is broken because you've experienced sickness. The doctors told you you're you're in bad shape. 
But you still went to your brother and you encouraged your brother because you don't want your brother or sister to ever leave the faith. And I want to say to you, that same word of God, the same Jesus Christ that's going to judge us on a dead judgment, the same one who cuts right through the heart of the matter, the same one who works and does what he does, that we think it's all about bad and evil, he's the same one who heals. All the time you're ministering to your brother, he's taking his little surgeon stuff and he's healing your heart and he's sewing your heart together. And he's saying to you, you know what? I do have it under control. You know what? I am Lord of your life. You know what? It's going to be okay. As you're ministering and laying all out of the line, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you and he does such a work work in you that you have to say everything is going to be okay and guess what maybe you got a brother coming to you who's not experiencing that helping you out brother helps brother helps brother helps sister this is what he's saying in hebrews chapter 4 hold to the faith there's a rest that god has for his people but for now we must live the life that we're living and along the way somebody's going to help us out It is that belief and faith that we have that we encourage our brother and sister to stay in Christ. Why do we do this? Why do we put ourselves through all this stuff when we can just simply walk away and say it ain't worth it. There is no God. There is no universe. There's nothing to do with this. What holds us together? Number one, it's the work of Jesus Christ in your heart and soul. He has touched your life. He has changed your life. He has made you new. Number two, it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit pulls you. He drags you. He calls you. He does all these things in your life to keep you on your walk of faith. And he has a way to heal your heart. We do it because this is why we're here this morning. To celebrate communion. We do it because of his broken body. And the shed blood that he did on the cross of Calvary. Jesus said come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find rest unto your souls. He calls us to the communion table to remember what work he wants to do in our lives. But we have a rest. And the rest is in the future. The rest is he's coming back for us. The Bible says he's prepared a place for us in heaven. He saved our souls. He's changed our life. The Holy Spirit heals us. We see it in the communion table. And we believe it. That is our rest. And that was what Paul was saying to the believers. Our rest is in the future. He's coming back. Whether you die. And it happens in. Whether you're raptured and you're taken suddenly. We believe that he's coming back. We live life in the wilderness. We experience in the wilderness. But we have a rest in the future. And the communion table proves that to us. So I say to you this morning, don't work so hard, man. It ain't going to cut it. That ain't what he's looking for. Our own righteousness will never cut it. We do works, 
But we do works out of love for his glory and his honor. He didn't say he didn't want us to do works. He said don't rely on those works because those works will wear you down. He simply says rest in my love, rest in my goodness, and believe in my grace and I will come to you. This is what he's called us to. And all along the way when you feel like you can't do it, go minister to your brother or sister. When you don't have a dime to give, give the dime. When you don't feel like you have the heart to lay out to your brother or sister, lay out your heart to him. And allow God to do the healing work that he wants to do. He done it in you. And he wants to use you to do it in the life of your brother and sister. Just simply reach out to him and say, Lord, help me. All he asks us to do is to believe and trust. And he'll take care of the rest. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, I come to you now in Jesus' name. I thank you for the example of the children of Israel. How that even when they received the promised land, you said you had a rest for them that only you could give. And Paul outlines it for us in the word of God that Jesus Christ is that rest. He's that fulfillment. And if anyone here is struggling in their heart, in their soul, because they just don't know or don't understand or can't seem to find you because of the experience of life, I pray during this communion service, Lord, that they come to know and understand that you're here, that you lead us, that you guide us. And the same way you convict us and call us and do all those things, today is healing, healing for our hearts, healing for our minds, healing for our souls so that we might rest in you and rest in your goodness. We thank you for what you've done. We ask you now, Lord, to be glorified in this part of our service as you minister to us. And we'll give you the praise, the glory, and the honor. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.